History Makers with Matt Prater. Coming off of drugs, you're going to have emotional problems, but I kept chasing after God. And he's using this vehicle to bring people out of the dark into the light. And I went forward and I knelt at the front, and it was a radical conversion experience. And that's where the big change happened, and that's where we decided we're going to use our music for God, we're going to change our songs. When I was about 25 year old, I was uh, busted and into jail, and it was there that I came to the Lord. History Makers with Matt Prater. Hi, and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're speaking with author and speaker Naomi Reed. How are you doing? Hello, I'm good. Lovely to be here. Thanks for joining us today. Now, I'd love to know a bit of your story. Whereabouts were you born and raised? I was born and raised in Epping, in Sydney. And uh, went to the local school, met my husband at school, and um, then we studied physio together. Mm-hmm. And uh, then after that, um, after we'd been working in sort of Sydney hospitals for a little while, we started to hear about the needs overseas, and particularly in Nepal in those days. So this was back in 93. Mm-hmm. And there, were, um, there was only two Nepali physiotherapists in Nepal in those days for the whole country of 20 million and actually one of them was overseas. <laughs> so so we just heard about the needs. We heard about the local church um, in Nepal back then, which was very young and had been persecuted. There were still Nepali Christians in jail for their faith. So we just felt, yeah, just convicted that, um, that, that, that it was possible to go and to help and to serve in a very behind-the-scenes kind of way. So we, so we did that for the next three years. I think that was probably the most defining part of our story was the years we spent in Nepal. Our first son was born there. And uh, went back with three bo- our three boys um, for another three years. So yeah, let's so we're <laughs> born yeah. and raised in Sydney, but but yeah. um, spent significant time in Nepal. Wow. Now I do want to ask you a bit more about Nepal in a moment, but let me just go back to your uh, upbringing. Did you have like a religious upbringing or a conversion experience? Uh, how did yeah, you come to faith? So um, not so mu- not so much. My family weren't particularly churchgoers, but when I was uh, so in high school, when I was twelve. I made one friend. I was fairly quiet and <laughs> insecure. I made one friend, and she was a Christian. She used to go to the ISCF group at um, Fridays at lunchtime. And because I only had one friend, I actually, um, <laughs> if I didn't go where she went, I'd be alone on Friday lunchtime. So I, so I went to the Christian group with her and uh, listened to the speakers. And it was at the end of that first year in Year 7, I remember there's a particular speaker trying to explain to us the great love of God and the cost he had borne through his son, the Lord Jesus, that we could be his, we could know him. And I just remember sitting there and being stunned, absolutely stunned that there was a God who had made creator of everything, sovereign over everything of the galaxies and the whole world, every person. And yet he loved us so much, every person intimately, that he would do that. He would give up his own son, the Lord Jesus, who would die and be buried and then rise to life so that we could know him. And and as a 12-year-old, I was so stunned. I sat there, I prayed, I I, everyone else was leaving. I was still in this sort of stunned moment, amazed by the love of God. And I think uh, I've, I've been amazed every day since. That was now nearly, well, over 40 years ago. And um, because my family weren't churchgoers, I was only 12. And this particular friend, she lived further away. So I couldn't go to church with her. I didn't know anyone who went to church. So for the first few years, I just read that, sat there. I read the Bible myself in my bedroom, cover to cover, well, New Testament. And I loved it. And uh, so for four years, I would just uh, read the New Testament over and over again. And then, and, and I went to the Christian group in high school. But um, it was towards the end of those four years that happened that a, a local girl happened to knock on my door and say that she went to the local church. 
so I went with her and then enjoyed fellowship and worship and all of those things. But but I love the fact that I actually had all those years just me and Jesus, really, yeah, <laughs> learning, yeah. reading the Bible, praying by myself. It was a really good beginning. Well, it's a great testimony. And I remember going to ISCF at uh, mm-hmm. Arara High School in Coffs Harbour and uh, mm. we had a whole bunch of students that we get together and we'd have different speakers come in and, uh, you know, it's so important uh, having good schools, ministries like that. It's uh, obviously oh. changed both of our lives, hey? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I mean, in those days, I think there was 100 people who would go. Like, it was a really, yeah, mm. it was a really wonderful place of fellowship and singing, yeah. Let's get back to uh, Nepal. When, when mm. you were over there, um, tell us about, uh, you know, the, the, what's church like uh, in Nepal? It's probably a bit different to the Aussie church, I'm assuming. Yeah. <laughs> so, we, so, we, so we went with the International Nepal Fellowship, which is a Christian medical mission, and we're both involved because we're both physios. They're involved, uh, I was involved in the leprosy hospital and Darren was working at the local regional hospital and then we were training local physios. But, of course, we learned so much more from them. <laughs> than we ever could imagine. <laughs> but the local church was just wonderful. It was, it was sort of quite new, as I said. Um, they'd been through persecution. They they'd sit on the floor, women on one side and men on the other, and sing for an hour in local Nepali, you know, songs that they'd made up themselves usually. And um, and then there'd be a sermon and that would be another hour, mm. <laughs> all in Nepali. And at first, of course, you know, we didn't understand anything. We learned, we learned to read the Devanagari script and we learned... Uh, obviously, <laughs> language as we went, but I loved it from the beginning. I loved the fact that you can share fellowship in another language with people who might, you know, speak differently and dress differently and eat differently and do everything differently, and yet we have such oneness in the Lord Jesus, and we're mm. brothers and sisters, and that is deeper than everything. And and of course, as we learnt language and spent time with them, we made some of the best friends we've ever made um, in the world, and uh, we're still. So we spent three years there in Pokhara uh, in the 90s and then another three years in another area for the east, uh, another three years later on. And and that was now, we've been back in Australia, I think, for 15 or 16 years, but we keep going back sort of every year or two for yeah. a month or so and doing training. So the relationships have gone on over a period of nearly 30 years. <laughs> wow. And um, so, yeah, I just love that length of relationship as well. It's been such a privilege. Mm. And you've authored several books over the years. Um, is there a, a lot of your books focused on your time in Nepal? Yeah, so I began writing there. I, I didn't set out to write anything. I'm physio, so science background. English was not my strength. <laughs> but during um, towards the end of our time in Nepal, the civil war was happening there, and it was a hard time. We had bombs and strikes and curfews, and, and our Nepali friends were really struggling. And... Um, as well as that, during that time, our children, our boys were by then, I don't know, 5, 7, 11 or 5, 7, 10. And I was homeschooling them at home through civil war and through rain. In, in Nepal, it, the monsoon goes from the beginning of June till the end of September and it rains solidly for 120 days. And I was really struggling, really quite feeling quite hemmed in by the rain, the war, the homeschool. One of my closest Nepali friends was dying of a brain tumour. And in and, and, and all of that, I started to write. Really, this is a means <laughs> to stay sane, reflecting on seasons of life and what God does and looking back and just learning to trust him even when you couldn't see any answers or reasons. And so that book became my seventh one soon. And I, I never set out to write it, but then the publisher liked it and it was then read. And, and I enjoyed the process of putting 
putting words down on, on the computer, on the paper, getting, you know, for me as a thinker, it gets them out of your head and onto the page and then there's more room in your head to think and pray. So I found the process very helpful, in, in t- particularly in terms of my prayer life, my journey with God. So after that book, I then kept writing uh, a couple of other books that followed on the story, our story as we then lived through the war and then came home to Australia. But then I started writing other people's stories as well. So InterServe asked me to write a book about other InterServe missionaries around the world. And then my publisher in the UK asked for a book of faith stories. So people coming to faith around the world out of other religious backgrounds. So I I sort of morphed from writing my own story because I was going, (laughs) I was struggling in the rain to writing other people's stories. And probably that's where... That's, that's what I find really comfortable. That's what I love to do is to help other people to find their voice and to mm. um, share their story. Mm. Well, I did read a book recently that you were a part of uh, putting it together uh, called Walking Him Home uh, with uh, Phoebe Chan uh, about Andrew Chan, uh, one of the Bali Nine. Uh, mm. that, you know, I mean, it, it, it's a worldwide famous story about the, the Bali mm-hmm. Nine. It was fascinating to hear about Phoebe's journey. Tell us about how you got involved in that book. Yeah, yeah. So that was a wonderful opportunity, very precious time in Phoebe. So I um, I just, as you probably did, I followed it on the news. Um, and then in, I think it was early 2019, Phoebe actually contacted me out of the blue. She'd been, she obviously had gone through a very hard time um, and a few years of really just darkness after uh, he was executed. Um, but then over time started to think she'd like to share her story, her her perspective, her point of view. Mm-hmm. And so she'd been telling that to a friend of hers. And the friend, this is over in Indonesia, had apparently read one of my latest books, which was the Finding Faith book, the book about uh, people's stories mm-hmm. out of other religious backgrounds. And the friend said, oh, you really need Naomi Reed. She's the perfect one to help you write your story. <laughs> so Phoebe then contacted me and we met. She She came over to Sydney quite a few times in 2019. We spent quite a lot of time together. In fact, <laughs> enormous amount of time, actually. She'd sit down on my lounge and I'd sort of write and, and she'd talk for six hours straight. And it's just amazing hearing her journey. I think for me, two things stand out. She is a really prayerful woman. Yeah. She is, um, she's got this background. Uh, she was employed as, a, as an intercessor in her church in Indonesia, which is common, which I didn't know, but she a team of four of them, and she had the slot of praying between midnight and six in the morning straight um, for the needs of the world and her city and the students in her city in Indonesia. And spending that much time in prayer, it just has changed her. And for me, spending time with her <laughs> helped me to absorb some of her prayerful habits. I think I'm, I love to pray and I want to pray more, but I'm, I'm, I'm more of a person who prays on the go rather than solid <laughs> two yeah. hours of prayer and and so Phoebe is a wonderful prayerful woman and I think she just she was the, the leading to work in the prison which is where she met Andrew in Kerapokan prison in as part of a prayer ministry there and prayer training her leading was so strong and she really felt God uh you know wanted her there and and she is a person who had seen miracles in her life um and in the life of their church in their family in Indonesia so she really expected that God was going to do something good and then those time, those years where she was in ministry there, you know, they were seeing what you could describe as revival in terms of quite a few of the other inmates coming to know the Lord and new ministries starting. 
but all that time she she was so sure that God would do a miracle and would save Andrew. And so over time she got to know him and of course then began um you know a more intimate relationship and um uh yeah, they shared a vision together of what they could do in ministry on this um little island in Indonesia after he was released kind of thing and what she really felt was on her heart and she was so sure that all these people were praying for them, that, that, that he, something would happen. And then, uh, you know, as we know, um, millions of people prayed. And, yet, and, 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 of course, he was executed in April 2015. And I think for me what, what I got most out of sharing that time is Phoebe and hearing her side of the story was that she's a person of prayer who's expecting miracles and then God doesn't um, – seemingly work in the way that she wanted. And so her honesty of those next two years of just the darkness, the despair, the um, silence almost, the honesty about that. But then what, what happens in a person like that? How, how does God then work to bring slowly hope again? And I, that's what interests me the most, I think, um, in spending time with her. I, th- I hope that's what came out in the book. Oh, yeah. Well, I just couldn't put it down. I, I read it over my holidays and on Santa, my wife, honey, listen to this, listen to this, and I've been reading bits of it tour, and you know, because oh. I mean, we'd all followed the, the the story about the Bali Nine in the in the news, and you know, and I, I remember there was something that really touched me about the song Ten Thousand Reasons" mm-hmm. um, that Matt Redman wrote, um, yep. and how that was one of the songs uh, that they would sing, you know, and, and you think about those words, you know, and on that day when you know, it, I mean, it, it's. It says, on that day when my strength is failing and the end draws near and my time has come, still my soul will sing your praise unending, 10,000 years and then forevermore. Uh, you just think, wow, it's almost like that song was written just for Andrew Chan, isn't it? That's right. And and because it was one of his favourite songs all the way through, but then, of course, that as they walked, he, he describes and Phoebe describes on his behalf of, of walking out to the execution site with the other prisoners and it was it was you know in the middle of the night they were executed at one in the morning and it was dark and the fields they're walking over fields to get there and because of the kind of the atmosphere that they were singing as they went but the the, the songs are kind of <laughs> being absorbed I guess into the atmosphere and so Andrew was the one saying to the others sing it louder sing it louder and and, and they kept singing as they got there and they were singing as they were strapped up um, to the poles and it just happened to be that it was just at that particular point uh, when the shots were fired that they were singing. And I think that is a powerful thing. And then later, of course, um, Phoebe sent the manuscript to, to Matt Redman to um, to show him. And, and he, I loved his response as well, which we then put as a um, an endorsement. But the fact that, he, yeah, he loved that, that they're singing this song that he's written, and it, which is so powerful and so mm. um yeah, honouring to God as to whatever whatever we go through, whatever point we're at in life, we can sing to God for who He is and what He's done for us in Christ. Well, it was a, a very moving read, and uh, I think I found it at, at Kurong Bookshop because it was number one in the in their top ten books when I walked into the shop mm-hmm. there. You know, so nice. it's obviously very popular at the moment. Uh, so yeah. I, I do want to recommend it. It's called Walking Him Home: Learning to Hope Again After Loving and Losing Andrew Chan on Death Row. Uh, with Phoebe Chan and Naomi Reed. Um, it's so good to hear uh, that you were able to work with Phoebe on this. And, you know, I, I know it's sold in many different bookstores as well. So let's hope and pray that many lives are impacted by that. 
um, you know, I had heard about the faith of some of the Bailey Nine, but didn't realise, you know, I mean, Andrew Chan used to have people lined up outside his cell for ministry, mm. didn't he? Like, it was incredible, oh, the fruit of his life. Ministry, yeah. And it, so the story, I think, is, of course, it touches on and covers Andrew's transformation during that 10 years in prison, but it also, yeah, it's also Phoebe's transformation. So, mm. yeah, I think it's therefore a story that will encourage so many of us. And I'm really hoping that, yeah, people who maybe don't have a faith background will pick it up as well because they knew this new knew what happened, knew, heard the story on the news. So I'm praying for that as well. Mm, mm. Absolutely. Well, our time is up, and I just wanted to say it's been so good to hear a bit of your story today and about how you're telling the stories of others to impact the mm-hmm. world as well. And, uh, of course, if people want to find out more, your website is naomireed.info. Is that the right website? That's right, yep. And they can find a link to all your books there. And <laughs> you've also got um, a, a gospel presentation called The Zookeeper, Using yeah. stories, music, and puppets. I'm going to have to yeah. Google that and check it. Is that on yeah. YouTube? Is it? Or? Yeah, we have got. Um, yeah, we've got something on YouTube, and um, yeah, I haven't done as many of those lately because of the pandemic. But yep. you never know. You never know what's next. You never know. Very cool. All right. Well, well. Uh, once again, if people want to find out more, the website is Naomi Reed. That's R E D. Naomi Reed. Dot info, and people can search you up online and have a look at those books. And uh, it's been awesome to hear a bit of your story today, Naomi. I reckon you're a history maker. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thanks so much. If you'd like to hear this conversation again, listen online anytime at historymakersradio.com. There you'll also find links to all of our social media channels and you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast. Historymakers is a faith-based ministry and we want to thank everyone for their generous support. If you've got a suggestion of anyone we should interview, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless. I'm Matt Prater, and my challenge to you now is to go and make history. Matt Prater's latest book is now available. History Makers, Devotions, Downloads and Dad Jokes. It will take you on a journey through God's Word and will hopefully give you a few laughs along the way. It's just $15 plus postage. Order now at historymakersradio.com. Discounts available for bulk orders. The heart behind this book is to challenge people to get into the habit of daily devotions with Jesus. Find out more at historymakersradio.com. Station sponsor.